0: Good morning, everyone. I've got nine, nine points this morning. The good news is I did promise Hella that I'd be back by one o'clock, so you're okay. Um, we're going to look at Nehemiah today. Um, it's going to be a whistle-stopped tour, really, of the book of Nehemiah, so we're going to pick out quite a few uh, bits uh, from the book of Nehemiah. But I hope that it inspires you, it encourages you, and strengthens you in your faith this morning. So we're going to start off. We're going to start off with quite a long reading. So please bear with me. But if uh, if you've got your Bibles, iPads, etc., then please uh, turn to Nehemiah chapter one. We're going to read chapters one and two, just to set the tone and the basis for what I'm going to talk about this morning. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was still in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. I heard these, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, a great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel." I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, "'If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you uh, among the nations. "'But if you return to me and obey my commands, "'then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, "'I will gather them from there "'and bring them to the place I've chosen "'as a dwelling for my name. "'They are your servants and your people, "'whom you redeemed by your great strength "'and by your mighty hands. "'O Lord, let your ear be attentive "'to the prayer of of this your servant, And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart." I was very much afraid. That always makes me smile that worse. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy." And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat the Horonites and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and uh, to the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down in its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. (laughs) finally i turned back and re-entered through the valley gates the officials did not know where i had gone or what i was doing because as of yet i had said nothing to the jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work then i said to them you see the trouble we are in jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire come let us rebuild the wall of jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace i also told them about the gracious hand of of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, buy the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Um, In 2015, uh, you can see the picture um, on the uh, display there, a 57-storey block apartment was built in 19 days in China. That's an absolutely incredible achievement, and it was achieved through uh, prefabricating the building using a modular approach, so what they did was they put the wiring, they put the plumbing in the air ducts and included that in the prefabricate, prefabrication. To assemble it, what they did was they put in uh, round-the-clock shifts uh, and uh, to assemble the apartment block like a 3D jigsaw puzzle. Now, if you want a comparison, I work in Milton Keynes and I work on the Hub and, and next to the Hub, they're building a, a new hotel and uh, it's an eight-storey hotel, and it will take 15 months to build. So you can see that, that this was an ac- incredible achievement, and there's a time-lapse film that you can see on the Internet of this building going up. They would construct three floors every day. Um, absolutely incredible how quickly they can put it together. We see here that Nehemiah also had a large construction build uh, project, And this was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and a wreck after Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem. But God put something in the heart of Nehemiah. He had a vision and saw what wasn't there. People would have looked at the walls and just seen a a mess. Rubble everywhere, huge gaping holes within uh, within the wall. But Nehemiah saw that in his mind's eye of being completed of being strong and of providing protection and defence for the city of Jerusalem. So how did he do this and what was his story? And that's what we're going to explore this morning. And what can we learn from Nehemiah? What are our, our plans and what challenges do we face? So the first thing was is that Nehemiah had an emotional start. Clicker. After all of that, thank you. There we go. There we go. So it was an emotional start for uh, for Nehemiah. Uh, when he, uh, we've already read in Nehemiah 1 verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Do you know that God can inspire us through? our emotions. It was interesting for me to note that this work didn't begin with the prophetic word. Now, I want more and more of God's prophetic word in this place. I thank God for what we have and may God that increase. But interestingly, this uh, this works didn't begin through prophetic word. It, It began with an emotional response to a particular situation. For me, this reminded me that sometimes we can wait for the audible voice of God or for a message written in the stars. But this was God simply working within the heart of Nehemiah to accomplish something. We read in Nehemiah chapter 2, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. For Jerusalem There was something that God deposited within the mind and heart of <coughs> Nehemiah to go and accomplish, And He responded to that emotion. But importantly, Nehemiah submitted his emotion to God through prayer and fasting. In Nehemiah, chapter one, verse four again, "For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven." Through that process, God confirmed and cemented in Nehemiah's heart what he wanted him to do. It wasn't just a fleeting whim or a passing emotion, but it was God cementing and confirming, doing something very real within the heart of Nehemiah. It was important for Nehemiah to give time to God to allow him to confirm his word within him through the action of prayer and fasting. It's very easy just to have an, an emotional response and then we just go and do something. And sometimes we can get ourselves into trouble, whether that's you know, reacting angrily or um, you know, just doing something spur of the moment and it all kind of falls apart. It's important when we're thinking about God's work, when we're thinking about what we can do for him, that we submit those emotions before God, that we allow him to talk and minister to us. And, and Nehemiah did that. And Nehemiah had a period of four months where he probably waited upon this word. He probably thought about it, meditated on it and prayed to God uh, for confirmation of what he should do. The next thing was that Nehemiah started from a weak position. The walls were broken down and the gates destroyed. Not a great starting place to be honest. Now if you just had to do a little bit of touching up here and there, it would have been nice and easy for him. But instead he came uh, to a city which was in disgrace. It was vulnerable, it was weak. The people had sins, and the consequence of that is that the people had been scattered around through conquest. There were people who were distant from gods, and they had a lack of resource. That was Nehemiah's starting place, but he didn't let that hold him back. Nehemiah also had to deal with apathy. No one was—no one else was doing anything about it. No one else was there doing their little bit, you know, trying to gradually build up the wall. People just accepted the situation. They saw the walls, and it was just—it was just normal. The city wasn't particularly well inhabited. It was open and vulnerable to attack, but you know, it's just the way it was nobody could really do anything about it, they were under foreign occupation. Eh, what are you going to do? Nehemiah had to deal with that kind of attitudes, But he didn't let these things hold him back. How often we can wait until we've got uh, everything we feel is ready, you know, whether that's within ourselves, whether that's everything, all our ducks lined up, as it were, uh, we, can, we can end up waiting forever if we're not careful. Yes, we want to prepare, we want to put things in place. But sometimes if we wait until everything is perfect before we move on, then we'll end up waiting forever. Nehemiah didn't let himself be, hold, uh, be held back by these things. Every journey begins with a step. It's a bit twee, a bit cliche, but it's very true. If you're going to move forward, you have to begin to take steps. And Nehemiah did that, from his position of weakness, he moved forward, step by step. So what was his first step? He was a man with a plan. There was, I've mentioned already, there was a delay of four months between Nehemiah receiving news about Jerusalem and approaching the king. Now, there may have been various reasons for this, maybe the king wasn't present where Nehemiah was living at the time. Uh, perhaps he was thinking and planning and strategizing and waiting for the right opportunity. I'm sure there may have been a number of different reasons. But however, whatever the reason was, Nehemiah used that time to plan and to strategize. He didn't sit idle, but he thought about what he could do. This can be seen in what he said to the king. So the way that he greets the king, for example, he didn't just go rushing in, but he thought about how to approach the king. Probably when you know parents will say to their kids, you know. I remember I trying to think about how we could ask dad to get you know some pets and stuff. It's like, well, choose the right time to go and ask him. <laughs> we never got it, but anyway. <laughs> However, Nehemiah chose his op- chose the right opportunity. He thought about what he was going to say to the king and how he was going to start that conversation. He avoided making references to Jerusalem, which was quite an interesting thing. Now, Jerusalem had, in the past, been a rebellious city, hadn't always paid its tribute at the appropriate time. Sometimes it had risen up in rebellion and, uh, and as a consequence, was, uh, uh, was besieged. Uh, or was attacked, or um, threatening messages were sent to the kings of Israel in the past. It had a history of rebellion. So he avoided references. He was wise in the way that he uh, approached the king and what he was going to say. He also already knew what he wanted to ask of the king. He requested uh, letters uh, of safe conduct. He requested resources. It wasn't just thinking on the spur of the moment, Oh, what do I think now? No, he had thought and planned what he wanted to ask of the king. I think the other thing that made me smile a little bit was he asked when the queen was present as well. And I'm sure there's probably an element in the king wanting to impress his queen. Uh, And I think probably Nehemiah used that um, opportunity in that situation as well. Nehemiah had clearly thought about what he wanted to do, what he wanted to ask, how he was going to do it. We can see further examples of strategy um, in Nehemiah 2:12 to 16 regarding the inspection of the wall uh, that he gave. We can also see that he gave people certain sections of the wall to rebuild. Another interesting point in uh, Nehemiah chapter three, um, he assigns sections of the wall to be repaired by people who live close. Uh, to the bit of wall that they were repairing. They had an element of self interest in making sure that that piece of wall was rebuilt well because their homes were right in front of it. In Nehemiah 3, we said, Adjoining this, Jediah son of Harumath made repairs opposite his house. We also see strategy in dealing with the threats that he faced. In Nehemiah 4, 13 to 23, we see the placement of people in certain positions around the wall and the carrying of weapons to respond to the threats uh, that the people of Israel faced. Nehemiah used his brain to plan, to strategize, to think about what he was going to do. How often in life we can just react, we just do things without really any forethought. Yet, I believe it's wise within the kingdom of God to plan and to strategize. Of course, all submitted to the will of God. Nehemiah didn't wing it. He actually actively planned and thought about what he was going to do. Sometimes time can make it difficult to plan and to strategize. Uh, in what we want to do when we're serving God in particular ministries, and so we end up winging it because our time has been diverted onto other things. I would encourage you, if you are involved in ministry, if you are seeking to do something for God, think about how you want to do it. Take the time to plan and to strategize because it will bring real benefit to what you want to do. Nehemiah was a risk taker. Or if you want the spiritual example, he took steps of faith. Nehemiah could have stuck with a nice cushy number. Now, I enjoy a glass of wine and and I quite like the idea of having a full-time job where you just taste a bit of wine and then you, you hand it over to the king. That sounds pretty good to me. Okay, there was the risk of poisoning and so on, but we'll ignore that for the moment. He had a nice, cushy number. It wasn't particularly arduous work. It wasn't difficult. He had quite a simple thing to do in front of the king, just to present himself in a good light and to hand over the wine that had been checked and tested. Instead, he rejected the quiet life. He didn't stick with his cushy number. He was prepared uh, to move forward and do something significantly more difficult. He didn't just take the quiet life and think, oh, yes, I can just take it easy. I'll put my feet up for the next 30 years until I get to retirement. I don't know how old he was, but he, he, was, uh, he, he, he thought about what he wanted to do. He wanted to serve God. He wanted to change the situation. He rejected the quiet life and moved forward. Nehemiah also took responsibility for the p- position he and Israel are in. In Nehemiah 1, Uh, Verses 6 to 7, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah wasn't really responsible for the condition of the wall. In fact, that had happened 70 or 80 years uh, prior to this situation where Nebuchadnezzar had come along uh, and destroyed the walls once he had conquered Jerusalem so that it couldn't be used as a rebellious city or a place of rebellion Uh, again. It was really his forebears that had committed the sin, yet Nehemiah, interestingly, took responsibility for it, confessed the sin before God and said, Lord, we're not in our right place and I'm sorry for it. Quite an interesting thing to take on that responsibility, even though arguably it hadn't been his fault, yet he took that responsibility upon himself. So he took a huge risk, a huge step of faith. His life could have been forfeit. Nehemiah too. 2. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. <laughs> you know, in our society, with its rights and freedoms, it's easy to underestimate the huge risk, and I mean huge risk, that Nehemiah took. King Artaxerxes had the power of life and death in his hands and he could have somebody killed on a whim if he wanted to. That was the amount of power that, some, that he wielded at that time. If he didn't like you, off with his head. Into jail, get out of my sight, you're fired. Whatever. He had that kind of power to, um, to destroy if he wanted to, Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah took a step of faith even though he was very much afraid in our society with its rights and freedoms it's easy to underestimate the huge risk that Nehemiah took but he didn't bow down to his own fear, instead Nehemiah trusted in God in Nehemiah 2 verse 4 he says then I prayed to the God of heaven and it was just literally God help me I'm sure, because he didn't really have much time to you know, pray, kneel down and pray for 20 minutes before he responded to the king. It was probably just a breath pair. God, I need you. Help me. Yeah. As simple as that. Yet he trusted in God. He didn't let uh, um, uh, his situation hold him back, but he trusted in God. James 2 verse 17 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith should naturally lead to and express itself through action. Now, if we're truly to be uh, people of faith, then we have to be prepared to take risks. I'll put that in inverted commas. We have to be prepared to take a step of faith, to step outside of our comfort zone, and say, "I'm doing this for God," and, and "God, I'm trusting in You for this particular thing that I want to do for You, or this particular situation." Faith must, if it's true faith, it must result in an action as we follow God. So, following on from this, he felt the fear. I'm sure it was a very, very real fear, but he did it anyway. That's actually the name of a kind of a self-help book, but I I kind of like the um, uh, the title: "Feel the fear, but do it anyway." You know, sometimes in, in church life, whether you're a church leadership, um, we can look at people, you know, particularly the preacher and pastors, and think, wow, what an amazing work. How did they ever do it? How did they push through? They must have not felt any fear. I think quite the reverse is true. I'm sure Dave at times and other church leaders have really felt frightened of a particular situation, but they've, they've mastered the fear. They've conquered it and moved forwards. Fear can hold us back and bring paralysis. But I really like that quote from uh, Nelson Mandela, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. And really, that is an important thing for us to take on board. We have a loving Heavenly Father who wants to lead us forward, not because he, uh, you know, sometimes it will be into difficult situations, but through it, he will help us to grow and to develop and we will conquer, become more than conquerors because Of that, Nehemiah stood firm and was resolute in the face of ridicule. In Nehemiah chapter 2, 19 to 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite, to buy the Ammonite official and Geshem the heard about (coughs) it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? These were serious accusations. Actually, had words of you know rebellion kind of got back to the king, it could have had serious consequences. But Nehemiah responded uh, against the threat. He responded in faith. He didn't bow down to the fear. Uh, and in Nehemiah 4, verse 11, we said, Also our enemy says, before they know it and see us, we will be right there among them, and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. However, Nehemiah stood firm. It's kind of interesting to hear about Tobiah, the Ammonite in particular, because the Ammonites were traditional em- enemies Uh, of the nation of israel you know whether it's satan or perhaps dealing with our own flesh of blood and as we kind of try and conquer those fears the enemy will try to intimidate us and he's been trying it since time began basically but we must stand firm nehemiah also had to deal with disappointment and frustration in nehemiah 3 Uh, Verse 5, it says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles will not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. It's really frustrating. You've been in the workplace and you're working really hard and then the person next to you is like taking it easy. Oh, come on, get on with it. You feel like saying, but of course, it's difficult to say that. It can be very, very frustrating. Nehemiah had to deal with that kind of disappointment where not everybody got on board. It would have been frustration. Uh, I'm sure there would have been a lot of frustration in seeing these guys uh, just not responding whatsoever. However, he pushed through and continued with what he felt was right. Nehemiah also responded to the fear of the people. Nehemiah 4, uh, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came over and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. It wasn't just once, it wasn't just twice, but it was pretty constant. But he responded to the fear and threats by faith, encouraging the people and reminding them of God's greatness and by taking some practical steps. In Nehemiah 4 of t- uh, verses 13 to 14, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He exhorted the people to stand firm, to not be afraid. He reminded them of God's greatness. We all have battles, uh, we all have to battle fear at times. But faith in God, our loving and heavenly Father, is the antidote to that fear. You know, God loves you. He hasn't set you up for a fall. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be a blessing to other people. And as you stand up to your fear, your heavenly Father, Emmanuel, what an amazing promise. Emmanuel, God with us, is with us when we're fighting our fear, when we're battling discouragement and battling disappointment, our loving and heavenly Father is with us to see us through so that we <laughs> may become more than conquerors. Nehemiah inspired others around him. In chapter 2 we see this where he um, where he talks to the people about the current situation. says, look, we're in a situation of disgrace. This is the condition. He reminded them of where, we, of where they were. But it wasn't a, I don't believe anyway, a finger-pointing thing. It was saying, look, boys and girls, this is where we are. But look, we can turn this situation around. This is my vision. This is what. I, I want to see. I want to see these walls being repaired and being built. And for those in leadership, I would encourage you to think about how you inspire others to come on board with your vision. Very easy. You know, we have the passion, we have the desire, and so we just go off and do anything. And then sometimes look back and think, "Oh, why isn't anybody else following me?" I encourage you take time to inspire others. To think about how you can share that vision and that heart. Share your testimony. Share your story, which will impact people around you. He also encouraged people through the testimony of God's hand upon him and of God's provision. Nehemiah, this guy who started with nothing, asked the king for his provision against you uh, know in, in a difficult circumstance when it could have turned out very badly for him. He shares the story of how God had provided for him, and he inspired others because of that he inspired them about how they can achieve the objective how they could rebuild these walls we all want to be inspired we all want to take um, something on board and allow God to work with us and I encourage you if you're in leadership if you're leading a work take time to inspire others take time to encourage them in what they're doing to show them why they're doing it and how valuable it is and what a good job they're doing as well It's very easy just to take people for granted, but take the time to inspire others. Nehemiah was a wise guy. If you're not quite sure who that is, that's Norman Wisdom. (laughs) Nehemiah was a wise guy. He exercised wisdom in the face of deception. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, we can see that there uh, was a plot... Uh, to draw Nehemiah out of the the city and out of the work that he was doing so that they could attack him, perhaps beat him, maybe even kill uh, kill him. Nehemiah was wise to that threat, and he rebuffed the accusations that could have threatened the work. Instead, he responded to these threats by requesting strength from God. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9 says, But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. In what we're doing, we need the wisdom of God. And we've been praying for it, haven't we, um, during this time uh, or this season of prayer. And and we need the wisdom of God, and leaders in particular need the wisdom of God. I encourage you to be, I think the word puts it, as wise as foxes and innocent as doves. We need that wisdom from God in what we're doing, and we receive that uh, through God. It's not just our own natural level of wisdom, and thank God that we've got brains, that we should use them. Um, you know we should do that, um, but we need that wisdom from God so that we can see um, behind uh, uh, people's motives. Sometimes people don't always have the right motives. N- uh, Nehemiah exercised that wisdom in the face of deception. Nehemiah continued to listen to God throughout the course of the work. It wasn't just at the beginning when he was planning and strategizing; it continued throughout the lifetime um, of the work that was going on to rebuild the walls. and We see that in chapters 4 and 5. It wasn't uh, limited to the start of the project but continued throughout. The next point is that Nehemiah was a man of good character and again probably some of the younger ones won't recognise, but that's uh, a character called the saint uh, with his halo above him. Um, Nehemiah was a man of good character. Firstly, Nehemiah uh, faced up to and dealt with injustice that he encountered. It's quite interesting, this one. Um, it's very easy to kind of look at things and say, you know, actually, it's not my thing to deal with. But when you're in leadership, in particular, you can't really ignore those sorts of uh, injustice and and things that are are not right. Um, You need to deal with them. Uh, You need to approach them. Certainly, for myself, um, I've become a, a manager and looking after a team of seven people. And sometimes you do see things that go on that really shouldn't be going on. And the easy thing is just to ignore it. But actually, Nehemiah was of strong enough character uh, to to uh, deal with those, so he dealt in chapters five. We see him dealing with the oppression of the poor, where uh, other Jewish people were taking advantage um, of some of their subordinates and were using uh, their, that place of power uh, for uh, for the um, for their own personal gain. However, Nehemiah didn't act in this way. He dealt with that problem. He spoke to the nobles and said, "Look, this isn't acceptable." you've got to change, and they accepted it, thank God, they did respond to it, uh, and he saw a change, and so we see that because of Nehemiah's good character, there was alleviation for those who were in poverty. He also didn't abuse his own position of power. In Nehemiah 5, uh, 14 to 19, we see that uh, Nehemiah didn't eat the food allotted to the governors. He could have perhaps been within his rights to extract Um, supplies from the people that lived in and around Jerusalem however he didn't do this instead he worked diligently and he did his best to lighten the burden of the people in fact we see Nehemiah being generous you look at the court and the and the number of animals that were provided day by day uh, to feed his courts he was very generous in what he did he didn't extract and try and gain land for himself but he was generous with what he had he displayed a generous heart. We see this in Nehemiah chapter, uh, verses 70 to 72. We also see the generous hearts of the people um, who uh, contributed to the work of the war. It wasn't just Nehemiah on his own. It was a team effort of people working together, people doing the practical work, but also uh, people prepared to contribute uh, financially to the work of the war. <coughs> In Nehemiah um, uh, chapter 7, verses 2, we see the importance of uh, delegating responsibility to to others who also had uh, good character. In uh, in Nehemiah uh, 7, verse 2, it says, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. In Nehemiah 13, we see that him also delegating further work um, who were in charge of uh, people in charge of the storerooms, and he delegated it to these particular men because they were considered trustworthy. Our character is is an important foundation on which we build, and if our character isn't right, then we build on shaky foundations. Now, I'm not saying we have to be perfect before we start off because if we waited until we were all perfect none of us would ever get started because we're all works in progress aren't we I remember a t-shirt once it said perfect man in any brackets under construction (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's very true but our heart should be I want to serve God I'm not in it for myself I'm in it for God and his glory And if we've got that correct heart attitude, if we're open and obedient to the word of God that he speaks to us, maybe he will highlight certain things. Thank God he doesn't highlight everything in one go, because if he did, I'm sure we'd feel crushed. But as we grow and mature in him, he highlights things to us. It's our responsibility to respond to that word of God, so that uh, God will iron out those character flaws within us. Good character is important if we're to build something that's long lasting. And it's sad to see um, where people have had fundamental character flaws and they've done something, you know, it could be something quite amazing for God, but then it suddenly crumbles. Very, very sad to see. And I think often it's as a result of a character flaw that has never been submitted before God. How important it is for us to have the right attitude and to maintain the right attitude so that God can use us to build something which is long-lasting. The next thing is to build with heart. Not all of those doing the work were expert builders. In uh, Nehemiah 3, verse 8, we see that uh, it says, Uziel, or Uziel, son of Ha hiah uh, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, repaired, uh, made repairs next to that. So there were people who weren't experts in their field, but yet they were working on the wall. And, uh, but they had the right heart. They, were set, they wanted to join in, they wanted to be a part of this project. They wanted to see the honour of Jerusalem restored. And so often we can wait until you know, we're perfect or we're experts in certain areas. Yet, if God is calling us, let's just go with it and say, God, I'm going to do this wholeheartedly. I'm going to do it for you. One of my favourite verses that I was reading through the book of Nehemiah is in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Next to him, Barak son of Zabbai zealously repaired another section. May we be people who zealously work for God. Amen. Amen. Who are prepared to move forward and say, God, I want to do this for you. I am doing this for you. And in uh, Nehemiah 4, verse 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its heights, for the people worked with all their hearts. Hallelujah. May we be people who are prepared to serve God with all of, her, all of our, uh, our hearts. It's not easy. It's a challenge. In the, the day-to-day um, stuff of life, You know, we have responsibilities, don't we? It's not easy, but may we give to God all that we can, that we will build uh, with heart. The work was inspired by God, it was under God's direction, and was dedicated to God, and all were included in this. We are the body of Christ, and every person here, whether you're a leader, or whether you're just involved in something as simple as greeting people when they come in, or serving teas and coffees, no matter what You do what your role is within the church. May you serve God uh, with all of your heart and do it to the best of your ability. We are the body of Christ and we all have a part to play. You may think, well, I've got nothing to offer. I tell you this morning, you do. Give to God yourself and say, Lord, here I am, I'm ready. Help me to do what you want me to do. It may be something quite simple, but yet, can speak volumes to those around you and give God glory build with all of your heart so the work or the wall was rebuilt in 52 days not quite as quick as the Chinese but you know, they didn't have the, quite the same machinery so we'll, we'll let them off they, they managed to achieve something quite incredible in a really short amount of time and you know what? It was joy and celebration in that work. Uh, Nehemiah 12, verse 43. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. Hallelujah. It was great joy in serving God. Sometimes we can see serving God as this awesome responsibility. And it's great and terrible. Yes, there are responsibilities. Yes, we want to serve God to the best of our ability. But do you know what? When you do, when you serve with all of your heart, God will give you great joy in it. It's not something to be feared or to be terrified of. It's something to, uh, that will bring you life and life abundantly. That is God's promise to us this morning. His burden is easy and his yoke is light all the other way around. Apologies. <laughs> do you know what? God's work isn't heavy. There is a joy in it as we serve God. I encourage you this morning, don't see it as something terrible, something hard, something onerous. God wants to bring joy in serving Him. Finally, the work that Nehemiah undertook was more than rebuilding walls. In fact, if you see, if you read chapters 8, 9, and 10, you will see that it resulted in a spiritual awakening in the life uh, of, of Israel. It wasn't about building walls so much, I suspect. God's agenda was much more than that. It was about turning the hearts of the people to himself. We see in those chapters of Ezra, uh, the priests, um, or the scribes, sorry, uh, reading the word of God, people accepting it and initially being crushed and, and Quite upset because they hadn't been following the Word of God. Yet the Word of God came to them and says, "Don't be sad. Rejoice." It was because God was doing something within the hearts of the people. In all that we're doing in this place, you know, the work that goes on on a Tuesday morning with uh, those guys—what a brilliant work it is to reach um, and just speak something of God's love into those with, uh, who are vulnerable and have learning difficulties. God has got something special for those guys. It's much more than just singing (coughs) songs and providing a nice place on a Tuesday morning. There's something, hopefully, I believe, going on within their hearts, in their own simple understanding, saying, Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. The work that's going on with Lighthouse Trust, reaching out to the kids. It's more than just taking assembly. It's more than just... um, Allowing teachers to sit back for half an hour so that somebody else can take an assembly or an RE lesson—it's a reaching to the hearts of the people. For you guys dealing with, uh, working with children and young people, you never know what's going to happen. Something long-lasting, something great in the hearts of these little ones. God is doing something more, something bigger than you can imagine. That is the purpose of God calling us to something to doing a work. It's bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than perhaps what we initially see. But through it all, he will bring himself glory and we will rejoice and delight in it. So I encourage you this morning, get involved, get stuck in. Don't let fear hold you back, but move forward in the belief that God is with you. is your heavenly father and he will bring joy within that. God bless you.